mic is missing. She got the video camera, too. At least we know she's still alive. Where are you going? Pawn shop's open in an hour. Ten minutes after that, she'll be at her dealer. If I can find him, I should be able to find her. Although ser and estar both mean to be, they have very specific uses. And may I help you, sir? Excuse me. Seth has to be excused. He's going on a field trip. I can't believe you brought my daughter to this place. Whoa. Why don't you just back the fuck up, man? To this place? What is that shit? Okay, right now, all over this great nation of ours, 100,000 white people from the suburbs are cruising around downtown, asking every black person they see, you got any drugs? You know I can score some drugs? Think about the effect that that has on the psyche of a black person, on their possibilities. I, God, I guarantee you, you bring 100,000 black people into your neighborhood, into fucking Indian Hill, and they're asking every white person they see, you got any drugs? You know I can score some drugs? Within a day, everyone would be selling. Your friends, their kids, here's why. It's an unbeatable market force, man. It's a 300% markup value. You can go out on the street and make $500 in two hours, come back and do whatever you want to do with the rest of your day, and I'm sorry, you're telling me that, you're telling me that white people will still be going to law school? Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we continue our trilogy in May with the 2000 Steven Soderbergh film Traffic. I had never seen Traffic, and it took me a little while to start this movie. I started a number of times, but once it got going, uh, I did get to finish it all in one sitting. What do you think of Traffic? I'm going to let you kick this off. It was my most anticipated film of 2000 when I was a teenager in high school. Wow. Uh, Why? Well, okay, one film we have talked about on this podcast, uh, I guess I was one of the few uh, with my younger brother. We was a dropped off or we just had no interest in seeing what uh, our parents were seeing out of sight in summer of 98. So I wasn't yet of driving age. And me and my brother were the only two people in the theater, which was not a good sign. I think I was more afraid of, like, is this going to make me look like a dork because it's me and my kid brother in what is clearly a movie designed for couples on dates. You know, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez and the the lawman and the the bank robber in love. Uh, didn't have to worry about that. There was fucking no one else in the theater. It was just me, <laughs> me and my brother. Um, <laughs> and then in, a year later, uh, The Limey comes out and i was big into that too now i didn't get to see that one in theaters but like the dork that i was i was not a, a soderbergh fan from sex lies and videotape mine was out of sight that's a, that's where i was like who is this director and so the, when the limey came out 
on DVD. I'm pretty sure I went to Suncoast Video to buy <laughs> to buy the limey. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Webb, you can be damn sure that traffic with this this cast that I was ready for whatever Soderbergh had to to offer me. Uh, I am skipping Aaron Brockovich, which I enjoyed, but I felt like. That was far more populous Soderbergh than what I was digging with Out of Sight and the Limey. Maybe I was just interested in his like crime stuff, not his uh, white collar crime of these big corporations poisoning people, but you know, sexy crime, Clooney with a gun and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, little did I know how populous Soderbergh could be because Ocean's Eleven would uh, follow this up. So, Traffic in a strange way for me is like. Uh, an old classic at this point because it's something in high school. I remember going to see it opening weekend with my dad and uh, it didn't disappoint then. I wouldn't say it's aged as well, but it's, it's, it's funny to me. It's aged. I appreciate it more as a bit of popcorn thriller entertainment on a serious subject. Now I think probably when I was a teenager, I thought this was like the be all end all encapsulation of like the drug war and now i'm like well it kind of skims the surface and you know you get michael douglas with the family melodrama you get the sort of like undercover cop uh thing with benicio del toro and i'm appreciating it more in 2021 it's like wow this was actually entertaining for at the time what was probably seen as like straight up uh awards chasing oscar figure and he did end up winning best director for this this film i did not enjoy traffic, but I liked it. Uh, I admire it on an intellectual level and on a filmmaking level quite a bit. I can't imagine rewatching this film. I think it's very intense and much like Aliens, uh, the entire melodrama with his daughter was like, "You need to find your daughter," <laughs> because I immediately put myself in that. Didn't role. like seeing little Newt and uh, with her experience with crack cocaine. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> Fincher took care of that with Newt. She doesn't even get a chance to try drugs. <laughs> Not at all. Because I process crime scenes for a living, it hit even closer to home because I have been on crime scenes in which uh, teenagers uh, have overdosed on, on heroin. And uh, it's the weirdest thing. I remember one scene in particular, like I was processing the scene and the mother is outside, you know, angry and she wants to see her daughter and like well no you can't see the body because the body is evidence at this point it's not a person for me because as soon as you start humanizing anything you you're not going to be on your a game and i remember looking over on the kid's bookshelf seeing some of the same books that are on my bookshelf and i'm just like you know wow it, it, it hits a little too close to home so there are a lot of things about traffic that i like but boy yeah it's a hard watch I did not like the initial color grading. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a tough movie to sit through. And then you kind of see what he's doing with the three different storylines. And each each have their own distinct look. I, I wish they coalesced and, and kind of came together in a more meaningful way. But the storylines don't really do that. Uh, like you had that one scene with Benicio Del Toro where he's uh, technically like testifying with, uh, I think, the Americans. And, and saying that he's willing to... Uh, go on record and and help bring down the general. And so he is now no longer in that bright yellow sort of uh, washed out look, yeah. So it's like, oh, and then at that moment I was like, oh wow, okay, the storylines are going to kind of come together and there's going to be a mixing of these the different looks. It doesn't really happen that way. Uh, each storyline 
while they interact a little bit, it, nothing. It doesn't come together like. Uh, I, I guess kind of like a. Do I want to say crash? Does crash do that? <laughs> you go right <laughs> ahead, buddy. On a movie podcast, you go ahead and <laughs> you know what? Uh, another film that did this far more successfully <laughs> to, to greater Oscar acclaim, <laughs> Crash. <laughs> but I, I appreciated the fact that uh, Soderbergh was willing to do that, and that's kind of what he does. He he really doesn't care about the. Uh, accepted norms and like oh this is how you put a film together if you want to make a film like this this is what you have. he kind of does what he wants to and, and he has a lot of these influences from more experimental things like he, he's willing to try something that's not done before or incorporate ideas from different genres so i do appreciate that level of filmmaking it was a little tougher for me to get into and i think it might be because i'm not a huge fan of narratives that are knee-deep in the drug game. Breaking Bad and The Wire are kind of outliers because I feel like they're, while their drugs are a big part of it, it's like there's more going on in The Wire than just drugs. Uh, Same with Breaking Bad. Those are, the characters play a big part and you get invested in them. Whereas in this film, there's not enough time to really get to know each character. You kind of have an overview of like, okay, this is what this person kind of represents you get a little bit uh and and there's no clear-cut protagonist here and there everyone's kind of in the middle and that's interesting very interesting Uh, all the different storylines while they are different i feel like going from one to the other is done really really well soderbergh manages to tell these different stories simultaneously with a lot of ease and the film is a little long i think like two and a half hours but it really didn't feel its length like it, it's really a, a it's a much more cohesive picture than i initially thought uh, it was going to be your your negative feelings coming from this uh you're a fan of soderbergh right i am i will hold on i haven't he does so much work i haven't seen all of his filmography just here and there i love out of sight i'm 100 percent with you there it is is excellent i don't know if i've seen anything by him that i'm like oh i didn't like it anything i watch by soderbergh is always intellectually stimulating or uh, very entertaining on some level i don't have the extremes with him though i don't know if i've ever seen something about him that i absolutely adored outside of out of sight everything i've seen from him i've enjoyed on multiple levels so is it for you is it just the subject matter the the drug i think trade? so um yeah yeah i i could see that i i think the stuff that maybe maybe has aged a little poorly is the Michael Douglas segment with Erica Christensen as the, the daughter um, that may feel a little trite now, a little sort of after school specialist. 
which is funny because I remember Soderbergh. I don't remember if it was in an interview or on one of the special features uh, where his main concern was in the casting of Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, she was actually pregnant at the time. Uh, that's not how the character was actually written. Uh, so she is uh, a mom already, uh, but you don't have that sort of stark imagery of a pregnant woman that has to pick up the pieces of her husband's drug business, which, you know, you can sort of debate the character. I think even some other people challenge her on that, that how could you really have been unaware? But she's she's been blissfully ignorant about how they, they make their money, and then she's kind of forced uh, to do so um, because her family is also in danger. Soderbergh was concerned that people would think that they're already trying to heighten uh, what is an intense and particular position she finds herself in in the drug trade by making her pregnant as well. Getting a little too cute uh, with it. I would say now it's it's <laughs> Michael Douglas, this very successful judge, uh, you know, now going into politics, becoming the drug czar. Who almost immediately taking that position, his daughter's like, "Drugs, those are for me now." <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all out. Which I'm being, I guess, a little cheeky about it, but it does feel that way. It feels like, uh, not to go back to our boyhood discussion web because I, I know it sort of blew your hair back. But uh, these teenagers smoking weed, drinking beers, um, she does seem t to be like the one in her her group that has the sort of addictive personality or that gene to where once she's exposed to it, it consumes her life. Uh, it, you know, that 70 show kid Topher Grace is the one that introduces her to this. And somehow he still manages to, uh, to go to school much like a, uh, an alcoholic who is able to cope, uh, through all of his responsibilities, but still is, is a functioning alcoholic. I wondered what you would think about that as a father, if you thought that was in poor taste, or do you feel that was maybe the most manipulative section of the film of the sort of the three storylines, I guess they're presenting. Well, it's like you mentioned, it's, it's the melodrama and it's the most melodramatic. And I mean, it, it's hard not to immediately be sucked into it because I have a daughter and I have those same exact fears that I think most parents do. It's like, you know, I need to vet all of her friends and she can't, you know, so I would definitely be vetting Tover grace that kid you know well i would just want to punch him i mean no no matter what i find out about him i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna attack this kid for some some reason <laughs> i don't care i don't care what he's doing <laughs> it, it brought up a lot of different questions uh when i saw that and that scene the first scene where she freebases uh with Topher grace uh, that initial reaction and I don't know how they filmed it. Maybe she's just an amazing actress, but the tears rolling down her the side of her face. My God, I mean, that was so. There's funny. a reason she got that gig on the long-running NBC family drama Parenthood, my friend, and that's <laughs> this was the training to get <laughs> cast in that show. So good, and so all you know, everything's running through my head. It's like, oh my God, like that's my daughter up there, or it could be my daughter up there. Like, how do I avoid all of these things? So, uh, it, it just unfortunately ended up being more of a cautionary tale for me. But, but and like I said, I, I've seen this stuff in real life, and so uh, all of it rang incredibly true. And, and I guess that's kind of where my 
my negative feelings come towards the film, like because it hits so close to home in in certain regards, and because the drug, the entire drug trade, it's just it's so much more complicated than some of the, <laughs> the like the Joe Rogan level logic. Oh, like you can't come at these complicated topics with with these. Uh, uh, I don't know, bro. It's never been a problem for me, so it must not be a problem for anyone else. Right. I don't know how to dig into this film on that level. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is what they're showing, and this is how it really is in Mexico, and this is how... I don't know how to do all that. And so just the topic in general is something that uh, keeps... I guess Maybe I keep it at arm's length because I'm not as informed, and I don't know if I what my position would be if I started gaining all of this uh, knowledge. It just seems like a lot. It's very In some regards, the film, I mean, that's sort of ultimately where they land with a lot of their characters is we can't get our arms around yeah. this. Uh, so I don't know if that would be a criticism some people would have with it. That uh, I, I mean, I certainly think that with the Michael Douglas character in particular, uh, they would want him to connect with his daughter on some level, not with... Uh, talking points uh, politically what that looks the best but even uh, I guess our most heroic character played by Benicio Del Toro you know all he really barters for puts his life at risk uh, is marginal gains at best in the short term as far as who is in power maybe less bloodshed if it's consolidated in some way and you know the the moment that does work for me, which is the the final shot of the film, uh, which is that he is traded for lights uh, for a baseball park, so that there is yeah. there there is an yeah. option for those kids to to play to to basically remain children for a little bit longer safely. You know, I, I don't think that the character of the film is saying like, well, now he you know he's getting the kids off the street, and now they'll be professional uh, athletes. Uh, I I don't think that's his aim at all. I think he's trying to have uh, short-term victories because uh, he sees this as sort of a lost war. Really, the, the only characters that remain proactive about, yes, we've won and we're going to keep winning, are the criminals, Catherine Zaya-Jones and her husband. I do see, I, I saw a little bit of my buddy Webb in this, I have to admit. Like, you're the only crime fighter I know. I saw, you know, when I'm watching it this time, Don Cheadle is Webb to me in this. <laughs> Who's, you know, he's going to keep trying. Uh, he's going to uh, I, I could see you on the streets of DC, you know, running your mouth off like uh, you can't control him. <laughs> You're gonna bug this person without any sort of warrant. There's one rule. There's one rule. I was born to play it's loose cannon, baby. <laughs> I mean, Webb just has to. He watches Boyhood, and he's like, uh, "No teenager on my watch can be drinking beers and <laughs> talking all funny." <laughs> You're going home to Patricia Arquette. You're not going to sass your mother. Not today. <laughs> you know, there is no conclusion to each of these stories that is going to be authentic and satisfying. And so the way that Soderbergh ends it, that's it. That's it. You can't make any grand statement about any of these specific storylines. Uh, you just have to present them as they are. Kind of the way Kubrick presented the Vietnam War in Full Metal Jacket. I don't think he's making any grand statements about pro or anti-war. 
I think he's just presenting the material. And so I I, I, I want to say with Jonathan Rosenbaum, somebody may have... Uh, I wrote a review a little while back on that film where it's like, this is the, so pro-war, it's just another uh, promotional video for the army. And I'm like, I don't know if I see it that way. And I guess you could see it that way. But that's why it's such a fantastic film is because it allows you to decide ultimately. And, just, and that's sometimes the most any filmmaker can do is present you with the facts. Uh, and that's kind of what Soderbergh does here. So he is in good, good company. I feel like Soderbergh has done great work for such a long time. Yet when we talk about the Mount Rushmore of directors, he, I can't remember uh, somebody, some tweet out there where it's like, Soderbergh is in my top four. I don't know. But he's been doing excellent work for a long, long time. So uh, this film is no different. Even though I didn't have the most enthusiastic reaction to the material, I certainly did for the actual film. I've got to drag you kicking and screaming. Anytime I break out one of my Criterion discs or, or something that has been selected <laughs> by Criterion, uh, let me also state for the record, uh, because you off mic took me a task. Yes, in back-to-back months, I've watched Boyhood and now Traffic, my iTunes copy on my Apple TV, and have left <laughs> the Criterion one on the shelf. But it's there if I want it. One thing I will say about the Criterion cover, uh, I, I couldn't I was like, what is this? Is this the cover for a crash? <laughs> the- <laughs> we keep doubling down. <laughs> But is it the assassin that's getting shot in that scene uh, before he blows up the car? Is that what? Like, why is that the image for traffic? No, no, that was weird. Well, the, it's funny to me because I, you know, I've said I've said on this podcast that sometimes, especially when we fall in love with film, that uh, the the movies we we watched at that particular time are used. You're thinking like, well, everybody must have been into this. I was into it. Like the the whole world was talking about traffic. Uh, this is one time where I was right, where it, I got this thing made over $200 million at the box office. That is insane. Yeah. First off, that you know, this subject matter probably would not be a theatrical release. Even our, you know, our best picture winner, I know it's COVID, but Nomadland premiered in America on Hulu, for God's sakes, on, on Hulu. And to know that this was a substantial hit, that they got people, they got butts in seats, I guess I'll give credit to the marketing in that way that people were in the mood for like sort of an epic crime thriller. Uh, it doesn't hurt that Soderbergh's always been actors really want to work with him, collaborate with him. So he gets usually great ensemble cast, but I agree with you. That is not, um, <laughs> that is not a poster. I, even when I loved this film as a teenager, I never was like, I want that on my college dorm room wall. <laughs> the assassin from traffic <laughs> being shot. and <laughs> blown to smithereens. <laughs> time for me to go get my shots. Yeah, why do I have to get shots anyway? 
So I get yellow fever. I could use a little color. You guys, this might be our last circle together. We're growing up. I mean, these two have jobs, and Eric is off to start his life, and I'm doing more shaving than ever. Eric, I know you're scared of getting your shots, so I'm gonna be a pal and get him with you, because I owe you for that time that I chucked that dead raccoon at you, and then it turned out to not be dead, and then it bit you, and then you kicked it back at me, and then it bit me, and then we both had to go and get rabies shots. I'm on the way to the hospital. Kelsey saw that dog and he jumped out of the car because he wanted to go pet it, but he forgot the car was moving and he broke his arm. It was the funniest, bloodiest, most rabies-filled day ever. Look at us. Best friends offering to help each other. You know, we always have to remember this moment. Upstairs, now! I am in huge trouble.